0: Church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California.
2: We're going to talk today about a specific story in Mark chapter five. Um, but before that, I need to do a couple of background things. Um, so, if you have a Bible, go to Mark five. If you're new with us, we're in the middle of a series on spiritual warf- warfare. And this is a series that's preparing the Garden Church for future ministry. We're starting house churches in the fall, relaunching our way of organizing community, um, which is a serious thing. And we're starting a year-long series on learning how to practice the ways of Jesus as disciples. And so I felt one of the ways to prepare churches to engage in a conversation around spiritual warfare. Today, we're going to look at a specific story of Jesus and have some very practical things on how to pray against evil spirits which I know some of you have no idea how to do that. (laughs) Um, But I would like to just raise us up in things of the Spirit so that we can be useful in the kingdom. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? How about this side? You guys good? Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) We'll go with sections. The favorite section, you guys good? Yeah, that's what I thought. Hey, so we started off and I did a whole kind of survey of the Old Testament New Testament presenting this spiritual warfare worldview, offering you a challenge to your Western perspective, which is really secular, which believes that uh, there is no supernatural. What can be measured and observed in a laboratory, what you can f- see and touch, that's real universe. Anything outside of that is not true. And that's the problem with Christianity is we, we've we pushed aside all the supernatural things. and uh, um, And we kind of have taken on a secular w- worldview of Christian things, and that's not helpful for us. So I'm, offering, I'm asking for you to engage um, the scriptures with a biblical worldview, but really engage it with a supernatural or spiritual warfare worldview, which is what we see in scripture. Last week, I did, if you missed it, I did a long kind of survey of Jesus' ministry in particular. What I confess is that I grew up in a church and I am used to a model of church that primarily teaches ministry to be what you're seeing here. Uh, A guy preaching from scriptures to an audience. And for most of us, this is what Christianity is. We show up on Sunday. uh, We might be a little more moral than the person next to us. We might even give some money here and there, and we might even show up to a midweek. But that's about it. Unfortunately, that's not a biblical view of Christianity at all. In fact, Christianity um, believes that you are to be a disciple of Jesus, not just a believer in him. And a disciple means your whole life is reoriented around him as your rabbi, as your Lord. And it means that you learn to be with him on your own and collectively. You become like him and you do the things that he did. Now, for most of us, the things that Jesus did, we kind of push back to what 2,000 years ago that doesn't exist today. Or we just say, well, what, what happens today is we preach and we accept Jesus and there's a little transformation. But what we talked about last week is actually you are invited to the whole of Jesus's ministry to continue his life in ministry as it was assumed and summarized in the gospels. And what does a gospel say? It says that Jesus's ministry can be defined by three things, preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, and delivering people from evil spirits. And if if you were here last week, you would see that I beat this, over your head, I I hit you with the Bible lots and lots of ways. Because it's a surprise to me. As I reread all the Gospels and preparing the sermon, I realized, gosh, there's a lot of talk of Jesus's opposition to spiritual warfare and Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Why haven't we talked about it? Why have I not heard one sermon in all of my life as a 33-year-old about spiritual warfare when it's, a third, when, when it's summarized as the primary ministry of Jesus, those three, three things together. So that's what we did last week. Today we're gonna to focus in. But one quick thing, I, I asked if, if you had any questions, so email me questions, a few of you did. Here's one that I wanted to make sure we're on the same page with. Um, somebody asked, hey, you preach about having authority and power and being, being able to pray and command, pray for healing and command the demons to leave. Um, do you believe in the kingdom now? Um, or is it something else? So they, people were hearing that I was talking about a kingdom now. And I want you to know, at the garden, we believe the kingdom is now and not yet. Okay, This is the paradigm that Jesus preaches in. That the kingdom exists now because some people are healed and not yet because some people aren't healed. Now because some people experience joy and peace and their, their needs are provided for and there's, there's connection and there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. But it's also not yet because there's still racism on earth. There's poverty and hunger. Does that make sense? Here's a quick view of the first century paradigm. So the Jewish people of Jesus' day would have seen this idea of the now and not yet this way. They would have understood that what was promised in the Old Testament was that they, first of all, they lived in this present age, which was uh, the age that Jesus entered into in the Gospels. And that was marked by sin and death and Satan's subjection, anxiety, chaos, sickness, rebellion, and fear. In the Old Testament, there's so much scripture about this. There were prophets and, and um, prophecies about this new age, the age to come that would be ushered in by God's servant and Messiah. And when the age age to come would happen, it would be marked by peace and shalom, things being worked out the way they were intended to be in the garden. There would be no sickness. There would be healing. There would be forgiveness of sins. There would be the resurrection of the dead. God would pour out his spirit on all people. These are all summaries of Old Testament prophecies. So the Jewish mindset was when the Messiah comes, the age to come happens. So that present age ends and the age to come starts. Which is why lots of Jewish people don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. All they have to say is, well, the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesies that there would be no war. There's war. Because this is their mindset. Now, what scholars and what writers have described is that Jesus ushered in the age to come or the future into this present age. And this is a graphic that will help us understand. So this present age continues on until the second coming. When there will be a new age. Stay with me. This is some, you're getting like a whole seminar or a whole seminary semester. Um, Jesus brings the kingdom and the, the future and, and the age to come into this present age, which is why he heals the sick, casts out demons, raises the dead, why he's resurrected. And then the spirit comes and ushered in to this present age, the new age that is to come. And it won't fully be summarized or all things won't be reconciled until Jesus comes back once and for all. That's when it will all go into what Revelation talks about. Does that make sense? So what what is all this for? Well, we believe that the kingdom of God has come and is coming. It's now and not yet. So it's here and it's not always here. So we live in this tension. And I like to say it's kind of like, Every January in Southern California when it's the middle of winter and it feel, it, uh, all of a sudden there's like three days of 80 degree weather and we're all at the beach. You know what I'm talking about? Every January, it's like the second or third week, it's 80 something degrees in Long Beach and everyone finds themselves at the beach. It's the middle of winter, which is the now not yet reality, but we know summer is coming, right? <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So grab a Bible, Mark 5. That's just some helpful theological correction. That's why we pray for healing and not everyone gets healed. And we'll, but we're going to keep praying, you know? We're going to learn. And last week, people got healed. And I prayed for other people that didn't get healed. Same service. What's going on? I don't know. But we're going to pray, right? You good with that? Yeah. Hold that intention? Also, just quick, that gives us, um, that gives us like, because this is where some Pentecostal theology goes really far south, where you're, you don't get healed because you don't have faith or you have sin. That's not biblical, there are healings where people don't have faith. There are healings where they have faith. So it, it's not, that's not how it works. And this also gives us a theology of suffering, which we have to have, which a lot of charismatic circles don't have. Um, Jesus promises persecution to his followers. You will suffer. Um, and so that's just a quick side note. I'm just correcting some stuff there. Cool. Is that helpful? Yeah. I'm going to need a lot of feedback because in this particular sermon, it's more of a lecture, I suppose. I really want to do a Bible study. I'm trying to give you practical stuff because I feel like I'm trying to train up um, disciples to engage a little better, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But Mark chapter 4, so what comes before Mark, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, what comes before Mark 5, Mark 4, and what happens in Mark 4 is right before the story we're about to read, is that Jesus uh, tells his disciples in the evening, let's go across to the other side. And now that's problematic for all the disciples. One, you never crossed to the other side directly in the first century. As fishermen, you go around. Um, because you'd always want to stay close to the shore. Galilee is like 700-something feet below sea level. Winds would come in and stir up massive storms. So that's one of the reasons. But also, they were very superstitious. They believed that other gods and demonic and spirits controlled the seas, and so Yahweh wasn't in charge of that territory, so he stayed close to shore. Also on the other side was the Gerasenes or Decapolis. It was the Roman territory occupied by the Romans, but it was also a Gentile territory. So it was a bunch of unclean, impure people that were idol worshippers. So your parents growing up were saying, don't ever go over there. So here, this rabbi says to them, let's go to the other side in the middle of the night and you're gonna be scared just for that alone. And what happens right when they get out to the middle of Galilee? A giant storm tries to kill them. Their superstitions are correct. Demons are trying to kill us. Aren't you afraid we're going to drown, they say to Jesus. They wake him up from his little nap and he's frustrated with them. You have little faith. And then he, he speaks to the winds and the storm and the waves and they, it just quiets down. And the language in the original language in Greek is the same type of language that Jesus uses to cast out demons. Exercising dominion over the chaotic waters. And then it ends in chapter four with the disciples being terrified as they quietly row their boat. Like, what the heck just happened? And they, they ask this question. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So the disciples don't know who he is. And then we get to chapter five. They, verse one, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even a chain, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the iron on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me, for Jesus had just said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. It's kind of a scary one, right? This particular story, it's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account. So it's an important story that, the. All of the writers want to share because there's lots of stuff going on, and I want to talk through it. I want to make some observations and then give you some practical strategy for dealing with spiritual warfare. But I want you to just start off by by noticing what happens. First of all, the disciples were right. To touch to be near a tomb was to be marked impure. They're afraid that this place full of idol worships and idol worshipers and evil spirits in Roman territory they're afraid of what's over there and they as soon as they get onto the shore are confronted not just by one demon but thousands of demons Jesus comes onto the scene and there's this picture of this man and he's a madman I want you to just picture like in your own mind and heart what what, what Mark is trying to paint here and what this story tells it's the crazy dude the crazy guy that the community tried to restrain and keep to himself because he was doing damage and he was harmed. They tied him up. They forced him um, to be chained, but he would break his chains and he was forced to live in isolation. He lived in the forgotten places, in the hills, in the tombs. And he made a lot of noise. He cried out at night. He cut himself with stones. What, what Mark is saying is he, this guy was held hostage to evil. This is the guy that when you would see him walking on the street, you would go to the other side of the street to avoid. Right? We know these people. We see these people. This is the guy that in first century context that every parent would say to their children, if you disobey me, you'll be like crazy Marvin at the tombs. This is this guy. And the story in Mark is the city forgot about him. How many in our city are forgotten, are oppressed, are held captive to addiction, to mental illness, to pain and trauma, through oppression of all kinds. You see, I wanna argue um, that Jesus demonstrates quite a bit of compassion in the story, you don't see it, but I think what you got to understand is Jesus comes to set us free. And for many of us, we're more like the disciples. We're terrified. We don't want to follow Jesus to the other side. Are you kidding me? It's dirty. It's not safe. It's, it's, it's so inconvenient. My show's on tonight. That means I have to get off the freeway. I have to go get money out of the ATM. I don't have it on me. I never have it on me. It means I have to walk over and wait as you order your food to be a part of this story. At some point, this man became possessed by demons. And the truth is people can open themselves up to evil. And how do they do that? Well, through habitual unrepentant sin, through drug and alcohol abuse, That enables people to lose their sense of self-control and they're no longer alert, the Bible says. I also think you can open yourself up to evil through false religions, through general spirituality, which is probably the favorite among Western culture, false religions um, and cultic behavior. You know, it mentions that he cut himself. You know, one of the ancient practices in all sorts of ancient pagan worship was cutting yourself. You get to this place where you offer more and more stuff and you can't offer more stuff, so you have to offer yourself. And so what you do is you cut yourself to offer blood to the gods to appease their anger. And, you know, cutting is a serious deal today. So many people are self-harming in our church too. And it's horrible, but that, that is connected to a pagan practice of idol worship. So we open ourselves literally and spiritually to cults and, and demons when we partake in these ancient practices. It's a major issue. There are, there are uh, various ways that we open ourselves, especially as an unbeliever. We can become under demonic control where our thoughts and our deeds and our identity are more and more dominated by an alternative, alternative personality or another being. This is demonic possession, oppression, or demonization, which we'll define in a little bit. So in our day, we just give it a clinical diagnosis. Uh, we call it multiple personality, schizophrenia, or disassociated identity disorders. Those, those, not everyone that's diagnosed with that has a demonic spirit, obviously. That's those are clear diagnosis. Um, and those are things that we need to treat medically. But what I am and not I want to say this, not everything is demonic, but everything is spiritual. Does that make sense? Remember, we gotta hold the tension. It's not all a demon, it's not all d- demonic, it's not all spiritual warfare but we wanna put into the, the realm of what we're talking about. We wanna include the spiritual warfare just to cover our bases. Does that make sense? So what I am saying is in our world, which doesn't believe in spiritual things, that doesn't believe in Satan or demons, we actually don't know how to diagnose love and treat people who, are really, who have been really taken captive in war. They aren't just people who are crazy. They're not just hearing voices. They, they, actually, they are hearing voices. They're hearing voices. And some of these people are not just manifesting a personality to cope with trauma that they've suffered from an early childhood or an early experience. They've opened themselves up through temptation, through sin, through uh, spirits and demonism and cultism and addiction to the point where they are possessed or influenced by unclean spirits working through them, and it destroys their story. And that's this man's story, and I want you to have compassion on him. You see, now what I want you to understand is we can't operate like the world does. And this is my hope in this series is that we can't just fix everything with information and medication. There's not a WebMD for demonization, okay? And if they had that, I'd be, it would be horrible. I'd be like, because I'll go on there with the sniffles and think I'm gonna die next week. You know, anyone else have that problem with WebMD? Anyone? Any, do just wanna just confess, like just bring it out, air it out? Okay, because if it said, oh, it could be a demonic attack, you'd be like, what the heck? Like, what what am I supposed to do? But, I mean, this is, I just feel like it's not enough for us as Christians to just, like, not say, not engage somebody in need. Like, John says, anyone that has material possessions and sees someone in need and has no pity on them... How can the love of God be in that person? In the same way, we must become people that are willing to stand in the authority and power of Christ and set people free. This is what Jesus invites you to do as a disciple, to just continue on doing what he did when he was here. That was his strategy. Ordinary people doing what Jesus did. That's the goal. What we've made Christianity to, Christianity, to, uh, Christianity to be, out to be, is us getting alone with our scripture, which is good, we should be doing that. But that's about it. It's character modification and that's it. So we just wanna know the right stuff and debate Christians and ask questions and live in our comfort, comfortable circle rather than being a part of God's activity and having compassion on our brothers and sisters that don't just need a meal, they need to be liberated. Now, I know this is like more than just, hey, can you put some money in the bank or in the, in the offering bucket? I know this is like, hey guys, go and pray and have a merry life. We need to raise up a revolution of spirit-filled followers that walk in the power. God's waiting for you to do the things that Jesus did. He's not trying to convince you. Read the gospels and acts and tell yourself, ask yourself this. If that's all you had to follow Jesus, what kind of life would you, would you have? If you didn't have all of Christian culture in America normalizing all this pagan, secular life, what kind of life would you have? You would read it and be like, gosh, I'm supposed to go to the nations. He's expecting me. To make disciples of all nations. It's not just for the guy that preaches on Sunday. It's not just to give money to that. He's expecting me to continue this. And he's expecting me to carry on this ministry. Not just to debate with other Christians what you believe, but to live it out. Like It should be so normal to walk in and change the atmosphere in Starbucks through the power of the Holy Spirit. John wouldn't tell you this, but during his lunch hour on Thursday, he brought somebody to Jesus. He, 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 after preaching last week, he's like, I want you to hold me accountable. I want to share my faith with three strangers every week. So Thursday, I'm having lunch with some guy talking about fun ministry stuff. John looks for, on the street for someone to witness to, and the guy accepts Jesus. <laughs> I come back, and I'm talking about my lunch and this great conversation. I'm like, what did you do? And he tells me, and I'm like, I got to go. I'm out. <laughs> But it, and this is what's crazy, and I'm sorry. I'm just, this is just a tangent for you guys, eleven fifteen, because I love you so much. I want you to hear me. I'm not trying to make this about works. I just like we've we've normalized lukewarm life, and anything that's like a little bit full of faith is like, wow, that's radical. Right. Sharing your faith at lunch. Oh my. God. Gosh, I can't even. Three, you're gonna share your face three with three strangers in seven days, 168 hours of your week. Just three strangers is all you're gonna do? And that's radical? 10%, you got up to 10% of your money when it's all his? I feel like we've, we've just, we've normalized Christianity to be lukewarm life. This is what God's speaking to me about anyways. I'm just wrecked. So, so here we are. We're back to, I don't even know where it was. Jesus, medication, WebMD. So, uh, yeah, Mark 5. Was that Joseph? Come on, who was that? No, it wasn't. Come on. Oh, Tyra is in the house. Come on. So Mark 4 ends with the disciples of Jesus saying, who are you? And it's answered by the demon He shouts at the top of his lungs, you're Jesus, the son of the most high God. Keep reading. In God's name, don't torture us. For Jesus had said said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Circle that. We're going to come back to that. There's a powerful pastoral tool I want to give you today in naming your pain and opposition. And he says, my name is Legion He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area Again, geographic location. Isn't this interesting? Daniel 10, we talked about princes, the, uh, angels having geographic locations. The prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. Do you remember this a couple weeks ago? So here we are. There's something about geographic location. And it's a pagan territory. So there's, there's some type of power this demon has or these demons have. So a large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us... Among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out of the man, went into the pigs, and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. If you're new to the garden, welcome. This is a friendly chapter on Jesus. And it all makes perfect sense. The Bible makes perfect sense. Just read it and understand. Sometimes we need a little help. So... So the story is just crazy. Like the demons manifest in the, in the, in the um, they leave the man and they go into the pigs and the pigs immediately are uh, crazed and die, which is what the, the demon was trying to do with the man anyways, right? He's destroying his soul and uh, isolated him. Now a couple of, this is pa- my pastoral observation, okay, that from, I get from this text. Number one. There is a mysterious power in naming your pain and, or opposition. AA is a brilliant tool, Alcoholics Anonymous, of bringing, setting people free. And the first step is to admit that you are powerless over your addiction. This is a powerful tool. One, you name your pain, your, the, the power working against you. And two, you recognize that you actually have no power to change yourself which I wish all Christians would recognize that. I wish all people will get to that place because it's a powerful reality. But what do I mean by naming? Well, let me just give you a couple of, of observations that I've seen as I've done work with people in pastoral counseling and group sessions. Um, so many of us have constructed false narratives, identities, lies, beliefs, and powers. False narratives, false lives, false identities, beliefs, and power that have grown in our lives to be like forests they start as seeds from i believe from the enemy or from your flesh that are planted that grow into become forests like for example some of us are here and our whole life we have felt unworthy of love we have some of us are here and we carry around self-hatred which started as a little insecurity it grew into potential self-hatred. I was someone who was massively insecure. It grew into self-hatred. It grew into self-harming. It grew into starving myself, which led to nearly suicide. A seed from the enemy grew into this massive forest. That I would say my massive insecurity and, and wound of identity was not healed until a little after Ezra was around. I'm, he, three and a half years ago when he was born, where I began to work through my dad issue, my daddy issues, and the father wound, and my need to perform, my need to prove worth, prove I look good, prove whatever it is. So, so some of us construct insecurity and fear. Some of us have believed this false narrative that we will never actually change some of us are here and we're addicted to pornography and we think we'll never be free from, our, uh, from pornography addiction and that is a lie the enemy wants you to believe. That is a stronghold over you. A demonic force that is gonna wreck your marriage and wreck your life as long as you believe it. Now, I can name anxiety, depression. I can name um, insecurity, fear. We can name, so whatever it is, There is so much power in articulating the thing that has power over my life is I don't feel like I'm enough. Naming it. And then learning to respond. Um, And so when you you pull the skeleton out of the closet, it has no more power. And when you learn to respond to it through the scripture, that's, and invite Jesus into it, that's where the, the transformation takes place. So it all comes from, I have, No power over this insecurity. And then you, you, so Paul says it this way. I'll just, this is all biblical, by the way. Uh, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what is he saying? Is this, yeah, this is about heresy and, false teachings. This is about your life. Living with this identity issue where you're not worthy and you're not good enough and you're not, you're not worthy of God's love is exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. The moment you step into the power and authority of I am loved by God and live out of that place, that's when the enemy goes running. You start living that. So for me, it was Alex would constantly put me in front of the mirror after I would self-talk. I would just talk horrible about myself, about a sermon, about how I look. Put me in front of the mirror and sit there and five affirmations about yourself. Okay, I like my clothes. She's like, no, physical. Talk about your body. Tell you, like, God made you. She would start speaking. It was a discipline that felt so uncomfortable. Over a long period of time, I have been set free, and I stand here telling you, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you, but I'm his favorite. true he has my picture in his wallet and on his fridge i know he's he's saving those drawings and putting magnets on i'm telling you i know this for a fact this is not me being prideful this is me being rooted in who god created me to be now let me say this anyone here that doesn't that's not willing to say the same thing doesn't know the god of the scriptures because if you can't stand on the stage and say, God loves me, or God loves you, but I'm his favorite, then you don't know the Jesus of John. I'm the beloved disciple, he says. About himself. Oh, you're so arrogant, John. No, he knew Jesus. Do you? Power in naming the opposition. What do you? Some of us are here, and we need to be set free from those things. Take those thoughts captive. Take those thoughts captive and submit them to Christ. That's what I was doing. This is a lie. Jesus says, I'm the beloved. I'm holy. I'm a saint. I'm worthy. He died for me. You need to hear this this morning. What is the thing that you need to be set free of? Power and name. And number two observations is that it's not really a battle. Talking about spiritual warfare here. Does that look like a battle to you? The guy surrenders when Jesus shows up to the beach. Like, no, really pay attention. We're talking about this authority and this power against the demonic. When I see it in movies, it seems way more like difficult and it's a battle. It's like, you, it, like, when I think of spiritual warfare and people that are engaging in it, I always think it's like men and women who are like spiritually doing CrossFit. They're just like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they're just like, they got the, oh, they're doing the heavy lifting, right? Or whatever it is. <laughs> that's not at all, it's, of, that's not it at all. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here? And Jesus shows up, and he's like, all right, get out of him. He's like, ah, Jesus, send us over here. We don't want to leave. We don't. Like, all right, you can have permission. Like, go ahead. With the wind and the waves. Oh, he's like yawning. Okay, be quiet and be still. Like, there's no power struggle. I want you to know this. Because how many of you, let's just, we did this in the first service. Since we've been talking about spiritual warfare, just more intense dreams, feeling a little, raise your hands. I got a bunch of emails and texts. Look at, we're going to pray for all of you. So keep your hand up. I'm going to give us a prayer at the end on how to pray against dreams, evil spirits, and all those things I want you to to recognize. But this is what happens when the Spirit of God, um, when we start becoming aware of the spiritual realities. There's way more activity. I've had crazy dreams since we started the series. Crazy demonic dreams. So has Alex. Crazy dreams. I were praying over our dreams every night. I had a dream. I was at, at one of the rallies protesting against racism, and I was getting beaten up. Like, I was literally waking up to guys hitting me in the face. That's an intense dream, right? Yeah? Like, we don't normally have... Do you guys have... Wait, is this, like... <laughs> no. People, like, feeling oppressed. They can't say the name of Jesus, all sorts of things. So, remember this. It's not really a battle after all. And we come in under his power and authority. It's not ours. So we don't have to be super spiritual. We don't have to be the elite apostles. We just come under his authority and power. I'm like, okay, um, in the name of Jesus, I command you and do what he did. I wanna, it's, it's not like you have to do spiritual jumping jacks. Does that make sense? Let's just lower the bar. Make this normal and demystify any of this stuff. I know we make such a big thing of it. Third, real, real quick, Jesus impacts the economy. Just a funny observation. 2,000 pigs died in this, the making of this, this story. <laughs> 2,000 pieces of bacon, gone. That's messing with the economy of God's people. You know what I'm saying? So uh, what does it mean, Jesus messed with the economy? I I think it's so fascinating. One of the scholars who was writing writes that the Romans, um, their preferred animal of sacrifice for their false gods were pigs. So Jesus comes into the territory and does away with 2,000 of the animals being sacrificed to their false gods. That's pretty, and then the industry set up around it to provide for the sacrifices to the false god is totally thrown upside down. And I just, I I put this out. Here's why I I wanted to point this out. Because when Jesus comes and he's really Lord, he messes with your wallet. What's going on? What are you talking about, demonic? Well, I think the American church has been blinded by a principality. We've married the Christian church to consumerism and materialism, and that is a demonic force. It's not just, oh, we're we're just shopping a lot. It's a demonic force that blinds us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, welcome to the garden. We're so glad you're here. We know (laughs) next week we'll just talk about happiness and how Jesus wants to make you happy. Um, That was a sarcasm. That was sarcasm. (laughs) couple of thoughts on demonic activity and then I'll close up. Are you guys good with this? Is this good? Are we preaching? So I hope I made the point that demonic activity is real. Good. So write that down. Circle real. Here's how demonic activity takes place outside of us. Number one, through temptation. We've talked about this. Number two, through physical attacks and obstructions. Enemy wants to harm you. Again, I need to reiterate this. Everything's spiritual. Not everything is demonic you could just have a cold. You might have just gotten into a car accident. You might have just slipped and had an accident. It's not the enemy behind every rock or accident. Does that make sense? Okay, good. With that said, sometimes it's physical. And that that heart condition, that thing, it might be demonic, and we should pray for it. And it's very simple. It's not this big, oh my gosh, I got a demon. It's just, okay, I'm coming under the authority of power of Christ. If there's assignment from the enemy to obstruct or harm me physically, I send that assignment, that demon, to jesus it does, that's it, it oh, it doesn't have to be like that. You know like it doesn't need to be like that. Does't need to be Senator Palpatine, emperor Palpatine? Sh- sh- you're not. Yes, you're welcome. Other ways, oppression, probably the most obvious oppression comes in all sorts of forms um, and and uh. Man, do I have time for this story? Are you guys good on time? Yes. Yeah, okay. So uh, talk about oppression. Because this story of the demoniac reminds me of this man I met when I used to do ministry at Skid Row in MacArthur Park. The first guy I ever met was a man named Tafari. He uh, was an immigrant from Ethiopia, very well educated, master's degree, was a computer programmer that moved to San Francisco. and was very successful, made lots of money, became uh, addicted to cocaine, which led to lesser drugs and alcohol. And he was estranged from his wife, uh, lost his two daughters, and uh, found himself coming down the coast and became homeless in Los Angeles for many years. That's when I met him. I met him because I passed out a packed lunch of uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and crackers to homeless people for two years every Saturday when I came back to faith. And it was amazing ministry. I was doing it because I felt I had to prove that I was worthy. So it's always a mixed bag. Just so you know, I wasn't like, oh, I'm great, and it was because I, I had a heart, but I was also worshiping the, a wrong God, because I had convinced many Christians to leave their faith at Santa Barbara and I, when I left the faith, and I thought, I have to earn my way back. Um, so, Tafari, we became friends. He was Muslim. We, he would share his faith, and I would share mine. I gave him a Bible. I, I would talk to him for about a year every week. And a horrible story of pain and tragedy and addiction. But he talked about the oppression of being homeless. And he, he was so smart. He, he talked about how the, the moment he realized he was being dehumanized by no one looking him in the eye. No one shaking his hand. I was the first in months to touch his hand and give him a hug. That's how it started. I gave him a hug. And he told me he was the first, I was the first one to hug him or touch him in months. And he talked about the oppression of homeless people and described it as this force that was pressing down on the most vulnerable of people. And so I always think of oppression like that. Just this invisible force trying to find the, the vulnerable and weak and crushing them. And I feel like that's how the enemy works. He will isolate you. He will make you feel like you're alone in your sin. He'll make you feel trapped. He will hurt you and take away things that you love. So those of us, it's like every time I do spiritual warfare, or like I start engaging in physical activity that I love, I get injured, and like sometimes I feel like it's demonic. Do you know that? Like sometimes I'm like, the enemy's robbing me of my joy. So I start worshiping as a result, and sometimes I get healed. Um, A lot of times I'm just, I have to stretch it out and get physical therapy. But it's a mixed bag. But that's oppression, right? So it's not always there, but sometimes it is. And so he talked about it. and, I, and it was so, It's just so crazy. I'll never forget that. So I want to share that with you because I feel like we, we have an opportunity to lift that burden and that oppression with every person we come in contact with, to have compassion as children of God, look them in the eyes and touch them and bring hope and healing. And then not just leave them with a meal, but pray for deliverance and freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Tafari, long story short, um, got him, I, mo- I got him to the rescue mission in Orange County, and I didn't know about the Long Beach Rescue Mission. He um, got sober, and he moved back to San Francisco, moved into an apartment with some people, um, got his own place, got another job, re- re- reconciled with his wife and reconciled with his kids. And he became a Christian, and he wrote me a letter, this is months after not hearing him, of all the things that God did, not realizing it. But the thing I'll never forget is it all started with a hug. And so uh, sometimes we can we can push back against powers and principalities through simple acts of kindness. So maybe that's for some of you today. Uh, the other way, there's a whole thing about possession and demonization. I just want to let you know that those are so rare. That people, where, where you see it in, in Hollywood, through Hollywood lens, um, I'll just share my experience. So people can be demonized. They open themselves up to evil. Their personality is taken over. And what, what happens is it, it, it's so rare and it's rarely permanent, but it is something that we have to learn to deal with, and I, I think most people are not possessed, just so you know, or, or fully demonized, um, but it can happen, and in the times that I've seen it, when it's really confronted, now stay with me, because I know this is like, for some of you, so hard to understand, or even to just say yes to, uh, there's, it's, there's really not a big struggle, so when I've seen it, it's as casual, like, so when we were in India, there's this girl manifesting. She's, like, rolling, hissing, snarling, yelling. We just, people were trying to pray for her. I came over, and in perfect English, this girl did not speak English. I said, um, in the name of Jesus, I just said, uh, I, I'll show you what I said in a second, but I just, I commanded the demon to leave. And, um, and as soon as I, I said, I did it, the, the prayer I'm gonna show you she just relaxed and was perfectly normal. And the girl next to her fell down and started doing the same thing. The, diff- the problem was none of them spoke English, but the demon did, obviously, which is why it just, it jumped, which is why it's important when we cast out demons, this side note, that you send it to Jesus. Okay, is that, some of you will find that helpful in the future when you start doing exorcisms. So let's, here's, here's a prayer. Wait, I'm not talking, I'm not doing this so you, I can just tell you. I'm serious. Let's, let's normalize it. How many de- de- demons did you cast out this week? Oh, just four. <laughs> just, just kidding, just kidding. I get it, I get it. I've never heard a sermon like this. Okay, um, all right, so here's how we pray against your dreams, pray against evil spirits, um, some of you that felt, hey, I've had these crazy dreams. What do I do? I got some text messages of crazy stuff. And I just want to say it's totally normal. And you need to not be afraid. The enemy wants to make you afraid. Don't be afraid. And just, it doesn't have to do this powerful thing. You don't have to always fast for days on end. You just, you just step into the authority and power of Jesus. It's his. It's not yours. You just step into that flow. And this is what, what I've learned. So this is, again, pastoral. So um, I do it as casual, by the way, as I'm talking right now. Why? Because demons want to distract. If, if there was a manifestation here, I would silence the demon immediately. You can't speak. And they, they'll obey because the authority of Jesus. I've done it in a gathering of 3,000 people in the UK. Oh, that's the daughter of, a, of the king. You will not embarrass her in front of this community. Sit quietly until we deal with you. That's what we did. No joke. And then we just did this. In the authority, we pray in Jesus' authority. So you just come under his authority and by the power of the authority of Jesus Christ, you don't ask the demons to leave. You command them to leave. They ask permission from you. Can I go over there? Yeah, you can go over there. So the, with authority, command to whom, speak directly to the evil spirit or to the dreams or the spirit. That's whatever you think is attacking you. Um, the spirit of infirmity is a thing I'll use. It's, that's not, that is a biblical thing because we see demons can cause sickness. So... Jesus rebukes demons and people get healed. Uh, Speak to the what. What do you want them to do? You want them to depart from this person or place, not have any dominion over my thoughts. You tell them how, without harming this person, without disturbing this place, go quietly. Tell them where, go straight to Jesus to never return. And then you just invite the Holy Spirit to come in. So any of you that have horrible dreams, tonight in the authority of Jesus Christ, I pray. that there would be no evil dreams. I command any evil spirit to come against me that go straight to Jesus. Let him deal with you. And Lord, would you fill my thoughts and my dreams with your presence. Now, that's just what I do. I do that for my, my boy every night. I do that with my wife because we've been subject to stuff like that. Not everything is demonic, but everything is spiritual. Are you guys good? Is that helpful? If you want this, we'll email it out so you can have it. It's just a simple prayer. So I read that. Let's just finish the story and then we'll close. There's a lot of talking today. I apologize for how long this sermon's going. Um, Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, uh, they saw the man, the madman, who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people of what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus, leave this region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but uh, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell um, to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. It was the power of deliverance. In the Gospels, the first Gentile apostle, apostle means sent one by Jesus, was the demon-possessed dude who discipled him. All he had was, I was once possessed by a legion of demons, but now I'm good. How crazy is that? I was crazy Marvin at the tomb. (laughs) Now what's crazy is two chapters later, actually the next chapter, Jesus goes back and the crowds come out of the woodworks. Every sick person is healed. They believe in Jesus because this guy goes around just sharing what had happened. Powerful message of transformation. So I'll close with this. Um, Where do you find yourself in this story? Are you the disciple who's afraid to follow Jesus to the other side? You're pretty comfortable on the other side of the lake with your family and friends. But this Jesus that confronts demonic, that engages in warfare, that heals the sick, that calls you to reconsider everything, including your wallet, is he safe? Who is he? Some of you are here and you need to ask the question, do you have the Jesus of the scriptures or the Jesus that's made in your own image? Because he invites you to normalize all the stuff we're talking about. Second, maybe you're here and you just need liberation and freedom. I talk about naming the, the strongholds in your life and you need Prayer to be set free. You believe the lie that you'll never deal, this, this problem will always be in your life. That's a lie from the enemy. Let us pray for you. and Let us see you on the road to transformation. Maybe you're here and you have been healed and liberated. Can I invite you to share your story with every single person you meet? There's power in saying, I once struggled with this, but now I have this. I was once so insecure, but now I'm his favorite. I was whatever. Like just tell the story. And that's discipleship at its best. Give away what you've received. I, I don't know anything about the book of Mark, but I know a lot about being freed from addiction. Share that with others. That's all Jesus wants you to do right now. Um, and, that, and that's it. I'll leave it with those three. So that's it. I'll be there. I'll leave it at that. Next week is the final week on the series and it's what I've been working towards. Um, One service, 10 o'clock. I'm calling it Freedom Sunday. I want to speak against strongholds and pray that as followers of Jesus, we're ready for battle.
0: Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.
3: i so.